The Apostle Paul left Brother Titus on the island of Crete, and he gave him specific instructions regarding the appointment of elders and pastors in the church there. Look, we know the world is full of characters. The church is full of characters and all kinds of people. When it comes to the Cretans, though, they were in particular known for being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Some professed to know God, but their actions proved otherwise, making them, as far as Paul was concerned, abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Paul has better things in mind, however, for professing Christians. And that's where we pick up today in his letter to Titus in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The Word of God reads like this. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. May God bless the reading and the hearing and the doing of his word. So we follow Paul's train of thought. He was just previous to this speaking about you know, the elders, <clears throat> the the leaders in the church and those appointed to be pastors, basically, and how, how these men are, would be qualified to be in such positions. And then their task really was to correct insubordination in the church and false teaching in the church. And he said that those Cretans were just unqualified for really any any good work in the church if they found themselves in the church. And so following that train of thought, he says, but as for you, Titus, have to remember this letter is directed to Titus because this is a man on a mission. It'd be really easy to give Titus rock star status simply because he has a a book in the Bible or a letter written after his name in the Bible, but this letter is from Paul to Titus. It could be written to any one of us, left in any place for a specific task, and that's where we find ourselves today. We're left in a specific place to do whatever it is God wants us to do until he moves us somewhere else. So as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Many of the problems in the church at Crete were related to words. When you think about it, false teaching communicated through words feeds bad behavior. That's what was happening there at Crete. And Paul had better expectations for Titus when he says, but as for you, 
and he has better expectations for the church. Notice the emphasis on sound doctrine, because our behavior follows what we believe, and our behavior reveals our unbelief, the fact that sometimes I simply just, I don't trust the Lord. I know what his word says. I know what he's promised to do and what kind of person he is. And yet I still fear. I still worry. I still lust. I still, you know, fall prey to the temptations that come upon me sometimes. So speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, sound godly teaching. And then he has something to say to the older men. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. Older men here, from the Greek word presbytes. In last study, we talked about presbytos, you know, where we get the word pres- presbyter or presbyterian. It means like bishop or not bishop. That's the episcopos rather, but presbytes uh, means elder man. And so he speaks to the elder men here in the church. And Paul calls the men, especially the older men, to be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love and patience. If, if we are the younger, we should expect the older men, <clears throat> those older than us, especially those who've been walking with the Lord longer than us, we expect them to be wiser and maturer enough to emulate. They're, they should be good examples. But if we find ourselves the older ones in the group, We ought to be wise and mature enough to set the example, to be sober-minded, reverent, self-controlled, faithful, and patient. The older women, likewise, he says. Now, the older women, we had presbutes for elder men. We have presbutes, which is the elder women. Again, the expectation is that the older women should behave themselves in a way that glorifies the Lord and sets a good example that they would be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not busybodies, not given to much wine, and not alcoholics. This was actually a problem in the first century for older women and older men to be given to much wine. It's easy to linger long at the bottle, to drink too much, that these women would be teachers of good things, he says. Older men and older women have a responsibility to disciple. In our day and age, we often use the word mentor, and that might fit as well, but biblically, we're trying to train others in the disciplines of Christ. In that process, we call discipleship. Older men and women should disciple younger men and women. That these older women, for example, should admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. I want to stop there for a second because we'd be wise to read this text through the lens of a first century person. Paul isn't saying Christian women of every age ought to stay home and be stay-at-home moms. At the same time, we shouldn't ever minimize the value of stay-at-home moms. What a blessing if you're a mom and you can stay home and and rear up those children and manage the home. Women of that day in the first century were expected to be homemakers. That's how it was in that day. And 
what that meant specifically is that they were to take care of and manage their homes in a way that was respectable and pleasing to the Lord. So that wasn't anything to be frowned upon. That was something that the ladies did. And when they did it right, the home ran well. Look, it, it may have been unheard of in the first century, but it's not uncommon for women and wives in particular in the 21st century to have ambitions of being a physician, a dental hygienist, or even an astronaut for that matter. Look, and this isn't necessarily sinful to desire to do these kinds of things, to be these kinds of things. I do think that these ambitions and dreams, be it the husband or the wife, should be discussed as a family. I've met one too many wives who have shelved their hopes and their dreams to follow their service member spouse around the world, only to resent their husbands because he either, one, belittled her ambitions when he found out about them, you know, as if her ambitions and her dreams and her heart's desire didn't matter, didn't mean as much as what he had in mind or was called to do. Resenting their husbands second because perhaps he didn't know how important her dreams or ambitions were to her. Maybe he knew that she had dreams and goals, but really didn't know how important those dreams or goals were important to her and so kind of again poo-pooed them, if you will. Thirdly, some men never even know that their ladies have ambitions or dreams in the first place. Either because they didn't ask, but more more so because the ladies didn't even bother to share these dreams or goals for whatever reason. Because they're poor, being poor communicators or thinking that he should just know because of this mind reading thing that doesn't exist. Or maybe because a lot of women are just selfless in that sense of putting their desires aside to accommodate and compliment their husband. I think Paul's point regarding Christian women in this context here in verse 5, as he says, is that the word of God may not be blasphemed. So if if she desires to be an astronaut, a physician, a veterinarian, a dental hygienist, a police officer, whatever it is, I don't laugh because I think that's funny. I just laugh because, the, you know, women aspire to, to do all kinds of things. Do it in a way that the word of God may not be blasphemed, that she still honors her husband and her children and really honors the Lord in that process. Behave in a way that draws positive attention to the Lord in a way that models sound godly teaching. Now, Paul has a word for the younger crowd in verse 6, where he says, Likewise, exhort the young men in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and corruptibility. I want to stop right there for a minute. Because he talks about the young men. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. That Greek sober-minded, sophroneo, it means to be of sound mind, sane, to curb one's passions. Young men should behave in a way that draws positive attention to the Lord and sound godly teaching. You should be in your right mind. Young men should be in their right mind, not wild, 
fickle, lustful, or all over the place. The fact that Paul says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Immediately following instructions to the young men tells me Titus was a young man. And pastors like Titus, as a young man training other men to be pastors, are afflicted with the same human passions, desires, and temptations common to all men, especially young men. And so Titus was to show himself a pattern of good works when it came to doctrine. Like Paul says, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. He needed to talk the talk. He needed to walk the walk. And he needed to walk the talk. He needed to do what he said. Say the right things, do the right things, and do what he said was the right thing to do. As Paul emphasizes here in verse 8, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent, and there were a lot of opponents in the, the church at Crete, and at least on the island of Crete, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Over and over, Paul emphasizes good works to Titus, and yet here he notes sound speech. Being careful what we say and how we say it is so paramount. And it's funny because sometimes we forget the value of simply keeping our mouths closed, right? Why Solomon said in Proverbs 17, verses 27 and 28, he says, He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Even a fool is counted as wise when he holds his peace. When he shuts his lips, he's considered perceptive. (laughs) Love that. So it's important to have sound speech. Man, don't forget the value of just being quiet. The whole point of that is so our opponents and those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ, who oppose us in that endeavor, will have nothing evil to say about us. Nothing. So important. Then he speaks to the bondservants, exhort the bondservants, the Greek word doulos. If you've been tracking our studies through Jude, our studies through James, the letters of Paul, these gentlemen often refer to themselves as doulos. And that is a bondservant. That is someone completely committed to the service of someone else, something else. Exhort bondservants these doulas to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, showing good faithfulness. The closest thing we have to a doulas today, I think, might be military service members. Men and women who, who give themselves over in service of the country in defense of the Constitution of the United States Doing that, curbing, giving over many rights to serve. And being a service member, you're told where to go, what time to be there, what to wear when you show up. you got to ask permission to do certain things. That's living a life of service. Think 
us service members often lose sight of the fact that we're living a life of service. So when we're at the restaurant and someone says, hey, thank you for your service, because they see our short haircut or they just kind of know we're in the military and then they want to buy our meal. What a blessing that is, but how awkward it feels. And you know, the best thing we can do in a situation like that is just say, you're welcome. Thank you for your support. Don't minimize your service. There's so much sacrifice that comes along with being a service member. So many birthdays, so many first steps we miss. Anniversaries, weddings, funerals, graduations. We miss out on those things often because we're serving our country. The first century world was teeming with bond servants, with those who lived life lives of service. So it would make sense the church was filled with many doulas. In fact, it wouldn't have been unheard of for a bondservant in the church to hold a position of elder or bishop or pastor while at the same time on their day-to-day living a life in service to their master. And maybe their master being in the congregation of that local home church following the pastoral leadership of Adulas. Inter- just It's interesting how that works out. How, how many times has my CO or an admiral or the general been present during a service where I led service as a lieutenant or a lieutenant commander or a lieutenant JG? It's just interesting how that works out, you know? And so... Paul's telling these bondservants to just to still be obedient to their masters. That's important. He's telling Titus to strongly encourage them not to rebel, not to argue, not to declare their rights or insist on a better quality of life, but to be obedient, well-pleasing, without backtalk or stealing from their masters. How are we service members doing in that regard? If you're a service member and you're listening to this, are you being obedient? Are you well-pleasing? Are you not answering back, giving back talk to your leaders? What's the whole point of this? Paul says that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This is cool. The word adorn here from the Greek word kosmeo, which means to decorate, garnish, or trim, like to trim a wick. Where we get a a word that's very similar to this, cosmetics. And just as cosmetics improve the appearance of one's face, even so we cosmeo the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. We cosmeo, we decorate and garnish the godly teaching We make it look attractive by doing the right thing. On the contrary, when we gum it up and we're selfish and we're not walking in the the counsel of God and we're just being selfish, we're living an immoral lifestyle, we don't adorn godly teaching. We, We make it look ugly. Do, do our speech and our behavior make God and His ways attractive or ugly to onlookers? 
think that's a good question for us today. So in closing, what I've recognized here myself, if you look at the text, you'll see it as well. This section finishes the way it began. Emphasizing sound doctrine. He starts, but as for you, right? Paul said to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. He then provides doctrine to encourage the older men and women and then the younger men and women. And he includes bond servants to live in a way that adorns godly teaching, that draws positive attention to God's doctrines, to his teachings. Not the doctrines of the gods of the pagan pantheon, but the teachings given through God in Christ. Are we like the Cretans? Liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons? Or are we like Jesus Christ, showing all fidelity that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things? Good questions I think we should ask ourselves today. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the clarity you give us when it comes to really doing the right thing and showing a pattern of good works, not just doing good here and there, but having a pattern, building up evidences. If people were to look at our lives, would there be a pattern of good works? Father, thank you so much for your patience, for the many, many times we blow it, that I blow it. And thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sins, Lord, and empowers us to live Christ-like lives, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the leaders in the body of Christ, Lord, for for those who are pastors to me. And thank you for giving us pastors, the hearts and the minds and the powers and ability to love on and care for your people. Lord, help us to adorn your doctrines. O God, our Savior, in all things. Amen.